Hey, and welcome to the Free Chapel Podcast. Let's get into this week's message from Pastor Jensen Franklin. If you have your Bibles, you can open them with me. And I'm going to go to the book of Joshua, chapter 6. And I want to share something with you today that I believe is a word in season for every person who is listening to me, and it's not by accident. I want to show you something in the Word of God today and tell you a little story that I picked up from a book that I read. And I want us to then put into practice what I'm going to teach here over the next few minutes. In, in Joshua chapter 6, it's the story of Jericho. It's a massive city, the first city that Israel would encounter on their way into the promised land. In verse 3, you shall march around the city, all your men of war. You shall go around the city once. This you shall do six days, and seven days shall bear seven trumpets, and seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It will come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horns, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. What a powerful story in the Old Testament. And it has a great lesson for us today that I want to emphasize. I read this book and it touched me. The story in it really draws a beautiful picture that I want to just get, get you to see for a moment. And we'll come back to the story. But it's a fact, and it's still taught in synagogues, Jewish synagogues to this day by rabbis, the story of a man who has become known as the circle maker. It was the first, um, the first century B.C. church, and a devastating drought was taking place threatening to destroy an entire generation. The generation before Jesus was born, history records. This is not a fairy tale. This is a historical fact, what I'm, what I'm sharing with you, because they have, they have historians and papers and so on that, that they have found. The world in that region of the earth, Israel, was in the worst famine it had ever been in, and people were on the verge of dying the generation before Jesus was born. All the prophets, of course, had passed away. There's this dark ages, as it's called in history, between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's no word from God. There's no voice from the prophets. There's no one there. The only one that was left was an old sage by the name of Honey. His name was Honey. And he lived outside the gates or the walls of Jerusalem, and he, he had a relationship with God. He was known as a man of, of powerful prayer. And in desperation, the leaders of the nation went to this man, Honi. He's a figure in Jewish history that is celebrated to this day. And they asked him, would he please pray because they realized it was in such a dire situation now that their families were going to die if they didn't get water within 
a matter of days. And you don't really understand that unless you go to the Middle East and particularly you go to Israel and you understand it's a desert wilderness land and um, water particularly then, not as much now because of um, amazing inventions, but water then was life. If you could not get water and the only bit of water they had was the Sea of Galilee that water feeds into, and if there's no water and there's a famine, then people are going to die. And it was that critical. So they go to this old sage and he says, yes, I will pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob for rain. And this is a historical fact. He took his staff, it's about six feet long, and he put it in the sand and he began to turn like a, a math compass, he began to turn 30 degrees, 60 degrees, 90 degrees, 180 degrees, all the way around a complete circle he made and drew in the sand with the tip of that staff. He drew a circle. He dropped to his knees and he threw up his hands. And as the hundreds and thousands of people began to gather around, and he's in the middle of that circle. He says these words with his hands raised with great authority. I swear before your great name that I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy, O God, upon your children. The word sent a shudder down the spine of all of the people who were watching. Amazingly, history records that as that prayer left his lips instantly and immediately, rain began to descend, to descend on the earth. The audible grasp of thousands of people watching could be heard. Every head except Honey's was turned heavenward as rain was parachuting out of the sky and beginning to drop on the people. It was just a very moderate dropping of rain, but people were, had not seen it in so long that they began to celebrate and shout out loud. But suddenly the voice of Honey pierced through again and he lifted his voice and prayed a second time. Not for such a rain have I prayed, but for rain that will fill every valley, every cistern, every cavern, O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And suddenly, according to the witnesses and the documentation of that event, the sprinkle turned into a torrential downpour. No raindrop was smaller than the size of an egg. So great was the downpour of rain that the people began to run toward the temple mound to get to the highest place because they knew next would come flash floods. But once again, Honey lifted his voice, still in the circle that he had made, and he prayed one last time, not for such a rain have I prayed, but for the rain of your favor, blessing, and graciousness. And just like someone turned the faucet down from a 10 to a four or a five, the rain evened off, and suddenly it was just a beautiful downpour that went for days. The earth soaked the water up and a generation was saved 
because one man drew a prayer circle. He became known as the circle maker. And he said, God, I'm not leaving this circle until you spare my family, you spare my nation, and you spare my generation. It's pretty powerful when you think about it. When you move into the arena of prayer, you need to understand that this story teaches us that bold prayers honor God and God honors bold prayers. God does not want us to pray weak prayers. God does not want us to pray get by prayers. God does not want us to ask for things that we think are not that big of a deal. But God likes it when you ask Red Seas to part. God likes it when you ask for axe heads to swim on top of the Jordan River as Elisha did. God likes it when you stand like Joshua and you point to the sun and you say, sun, stand still. And God stops the whole universe because someone prayed a bold prayer in faith that was connected to God's purpose and plan in the earth. Prayers are prophecies of your future. And the lack of prayer means that you're not prophesying or receiving any prophecies for your future. The only future that you or your family have are the prayers that you're praying for your marriage, for your children, for your future. And the reason some people don't experience anything different is they don't understand prayer is the prophecy of your future. It's all right when you pray to recognize that you're in tough times, but prayer ought to sound something like this. If prayer is the prophecy of my future, Lord is tough, but I know that you're able. Lord, I know that you're mighty. Lord, I know that you will deliver me. You just prophesied to your future. I thank you, God, that you are my healer, that you are my helper. Pray your faith, not your fears. Get up out of the mud and say, I know what I have believed in and whom I have believed in. We need to make prayer circles and put our sons and our daughters in that prayer circle and prophesy and pray to their future. Lord, I know my eyes are on you. And God, I put my son in this prayer circle. And I, in the name of Jesus, ask you to get every wrong person out. I put my daughter in this prayer circle. Get every bad, evil influence out of that circle and put every right person that's a part of your destiny into that circle. And God says, I dare you to draw a circle around what hell thinks he's got and watch me target what you target in prayer and pray bold prayers and God will answer. God will answer. I am persuaded that you're able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I could ask or think. 
And it doesn't matter if it's a famine. It doesn't matter if it's a pandemic. It doesn't matter if it's a drought. God needs some people who will do what that old prophet did and draw some prayer circles and say right in the middle of it, I don't just want little mercy drops from heaven. I am expecting a gully washer. I am expecting an outpouring. And I just want to keep saying it. God is going to fill these churches to overflowing again only more than they have ever been before. Enjoy the space you have right now. You're not going to have it long because when he brings it back, it's going to come back pressed down, shaken together, running over, and we won't have room enough to receive the souls that are going to get saved. Somebody shout and say, yes, Lord. When you pray, you're predicting your future. Lord, I thank you that you're going to do mighty things in my family and in my children's life and in my marriage. God, I'm predicting the future with prayer. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved and your house. The transcript of your prayers will become the script of your future. What is amazing in the story that I read from Joshua chapter 6 is two and a half million people watched, walked out of Egyptian bondage into the desert. And because of their unbelief, God said, I will, I will not let that generation go into the promised land. And for 40 years, they lived in the desert until the whole generation died. Only two survived that original group, Joshua and Caleb. Everyone else passed away, and this is why this is important. What that means is every person who was now 40 years old was born in the desert. They had never seen a city. They had never seen a brick. They had never seen a wall. Their style of living was the Bedouin lifestyle, which they live out in tents with sheep and goat, and they travel from, from desert Place to desert place. You can go there to this day. And when we go to Israel, we, sh we go and show that. You can even, you can arrange spending the night there if you want to. And you're free to do that if you want to. I don't plan on ever doing that. But, but, but it's amazing that you can see that. Can you imagine 40 years of age, a whole generation, and they had never seen a city. And then the first city that they come to is the walls of Jericho so high, 60 feet high, up to 40 feet wide, chariots could race and they would race chariots on the top around the walls of Jericho. People who had never seen a city, who had never seen walls, are looking at this city that they're supposed to take and God gives their leader the strangest commandment. He says, I want you to tell them for the next six days, one time a day, to walk around those walls. And on the seventh day, walk seven times. What were they doing? They were making prayer circles. 
And it didn't matter how big the walls were. And it didn't matter what they didn't have. It didn't, it didn't matter the lies and the threats and the jokes and the sneering that was coming from the top of those walls. They were nobody compared to the walls that were standing there defying them. But many of you are facing walls of resistance. Many of you are, 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 are know that your destiny is there on the other side of that wall. And any engineer would tell you, you need a battering ram and it'll take a miracle to knock the door down and maybe then you can take the city. But God said, no, I have a supernatural plan. And if you will surround the situation that I promised you with, that I promised to you, if you will surround it with prayer, then I will cause the walls, I don't know if you saw it, the walls will fall flat. And after the seventh time of making a circle around their purpose and their destiny, God saw it and God said, what you circle, I circle. And what you focus on and you take serious and you pray bold about, I pray bold about. And as they marched around that city seven times at the end, the trumpet blast and the people lifted their voice and shouted with a great shout and the walls fell flat. I want today to boldly proclaim that it's time for the church and it's time for moms and dads and grandmothers and grandfathers and parents to begin to draw a circle in your home and in your family and put your children in that circle of prayer and put your marriage in that circle of prayer because there's some things that are not going to come down until somebody begins to pray bold prayers and becomes persistent and begins to draw spiritually a prayer circle and says, I will not leave this spot. I'll be back tomorrow and the next day and the next day until my son gets off drugs, my daughter gets away from that thing that she's, I will not, I will not. And I'm telling you, hell's afraid of the sermon I'm preaching right now. Because when a husband and a wife, when a mom and a dad Draw circles and put your family in it. Put your family in it. God can level the walls of resistance that they may have up when you begin to pray those kinds of targeted prayers. You don't quit. That you don't give up. Jericho was the lowest place and is the lowest place on earth. It's 600 feet below sea level. It's the lowest place on planet Earth, geographically speaking. And when you get in the lowest place of your life and, you don't, you, and you're facing walls of resistance, God says, I want you to target that and I don't care how impossible it looks, start targeting it and circling that situation in powerful, bold prayers. Get praise and get prayer going. Now, here's my point. Once you begin to draw circles in prayer that are persistent and consistent and, and, and you just make up your mind, I'm not giving this territory up. This is not a negotiable situation here. Something's going to change inside this circle of prayer that I'm drawing. Once you draw a circle, then God draws a circle. And when God draws circles, he draws circles with angels. 
Because the Bible said in Psalms 32 and 7, you surround me with songs of deliverance. When you begin to circle that situation of trouble and problem in prayer and you don't quit and you don't give up and you keep praying and you keep crying out, God says, I, put, put it up please, God says, you, I will surround you with songs of deliverance. God sends angels and the angels surround you and start singing about the kind of deliverance that they're going to do and be released to do by God. God in your situation. Psalms 34 and 7 says, the angels of the Lord encamp round about them that fear God. So when you draw circles around your children, they may go off to college, they may go here and there, but when you draw a circle around them, God draws circles with angels and angels go and they circle our children and they circle our family because that's the kind of God that he is. God's already surrounding you if you will begin to pray about it. God's already got a song of deliverance around you and your children. Angels are singing about how they're going to deliver our family. When you get married, when I perform ceremonies of marriage, we say the symbol of our relationship with one another that is to last eternity is the ring. And at some point in a ceremony, I will say, what token of your undying love and your unending commitment do you offer to each other? And the couple will say, these rings. And then one of the, the groom or the bride will turn and they will receive the rings. And I'll say, place the ring on the finger and repeat after me. The ring is a token of the undying, unending commitment. The ring has no beginning. The ring has no ending, and it is, a, it is a token. It represents marriage is endless. Forsaking all others, do you promise to love that person as long as you both shall live? And if you're married, when you slipped that on and you said those words, you ended up saying, we do. And when you put that on your finger, that day you stepped into the sacred circle of marriage covenant. A ring is a symbol of marriage covenant. The ring is a circle. It has no beginning and no ending, just like marriage. I don't care what people say. God, God's number one best plan, we can't go back and undo your past if you've been through divorce and all of that. Thank God for mercy and grace. But let me preach right now. Because you don't have to throw the ring away. You can, you can enforce the ring and say, you know what? What God has begun, he's going to fix and he's going to help. We got to get focused and we got to get God's help in this home and in this marriage. The circle represents the bold statement and declaration of marriage in, in, engaged and intertwined in the marriage ceremony. It's an emblem of permanence. The ring is made precious because it's made out of precious material and it's purified by the heat of a furnace. 
You cannot make this material into a ring unless it's been put in the fire. And you cannot have a marriage that is just lovey-dovey all the time. And what marriage is, is it's, a, it's, it's this right here. It's till death do we part. The center of the circle represents the door to the unknown. In richer or in poorer. In sickness or in health. I don't know what the future's bringing. But I tell you one thing I do know. I know who I'm going to be with. I'm going to be with Sharice. I'm going to be with my family. Sharice is going to be with me. And that's what that empty place represents. It represents the unknown. But you're making the vow as I put this circle on my marriage and on my hand representing that I, I am saying in sickness or in health, richer or poor, I till death do us part. I'm in a covenant. In the traditional Jewish wedding, it's amazing. Do you know how a Jewish wedding goes? Once the bridegroom is in, they get under uh, something called a hoopah. A hoopah is a canopy. And they'll have a canopy over the top. And what is amazing is when the bridegroom is standing down there with the wedding party, then the bride comes in. And you know what she will do? She will, the first thing she will do is after she walks down the aisle is she will walk around the hoopah or walk around that canopy and her soon-to-be husband three times. And after she does it, she'll get in her place and then he will get out. Notice what they're doing. They're making a circle. He walks around three times and then they grab each other's hand. And as a couple on the seventh time, they walk around together signifying that God made the earth in seven days and he's making a brand new family right here that will endure whatever comes. We're in a covenant We've got a circle. What I want you to understand is when we make circles of prayer, and this is just what I felt today, that something powerful could happen if every husband and every wife for the next seven days would just join hands and just reach out and touch each other and put your family inside of that circle. One can put a thousand to flight, but two can put 10,000 to flight. And when you put the, and call those children's name out, I tell you, I enjoyed the, the earlier service this morning because we just had the most precious time. And I got to praying at the end and I put everyone, named every one of them and put them in that circle. Sharice is, uh, my Valentine, is on her way home from California tomorrow, thank God, with one of our grandbabies, because that's our full-time job. We just do this on the side. We keep grandchildren all the time. That's all we do. And so she's gone to get another one. And, uh, and, 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 and so, so, but the thought just hit me that how powerful would it be if all of us parents over the next seven days would just spiritually draw a line in the sand and then say, let's put our whole family in this circle and pray bold prayers about them. 
Pray the very opposite hell's whispered to you about whoever he's got under attack and thinks he's got. They're not, they're not an addict. They're not bound. They're not defeated. They're not going to end up on the ash heap of, of, of life. No way, devil. I'm telling you, me and my house are going to serve the Lord. I'm telling you, no weapon formed against us will prosper. And I'm telling you, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit put them in that prayer circle. The other week when I was preaching, one of our pastors at Midtown campus, we have a campus in downtown Atlanta. There's hundreds of people that are attending there. And it's, it's, we, 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 it's the, that and one other campus, of course, Brazelton, the new, newest campus that we opened just a few weeks ago, they've seen a phenomenal growth, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. We only had two campuses that grew in-house and the amazing thing is that the Atlanta campus, the Midtown campus, was already in existence before the pandemic. It's almost doubled since the pandemic. I can't get my head around that. And I'm talking about in-person attendance. And I'm like, why don't you come here and let me go down there? But I, I said something in one of the messages when I was preaching on the power of the tongue. I referred briefly to this story. And I said something in closing like, why don't you just go march around whatever you're believing God for and speak life. And Pastor Robert and some of the team down at Midtown, uh, several months back, there was a piece of property down, downtown, gorgeous, beautiful, amazing location, three skyscrapers with thousands of people living in condos, all literally right at the at the, uh, the, the center is this building. It's a theater. It's got theater seats. It's got a large auditorium that would seat about 600 and something. And then it's got a large platform, got screens, got everything. Then it's got a small auditorium that would just be perfect for a little kid pack. And, and so we heard about it and they found this building and some of the team went down there and looked at it and, the, and we got together and we made an offer on it. So low, you know, it's, it's, it, we, we, we believe in getting a good deal. Amen. And so we, we, put a, we put a deal in that we knew there ain't no way that we could build that there for anywhere near this. It's ridiculous. We know what to expect. We know how much, we budget how much a building costs. This was millions of dollars under what any building of that size would cost. And... He heard at the end, the Pastor Robert and some of the team heard at the end of that message, go walk around, and it, God lit it up. And he got a little group of fanatics at Midtown. And even though a big corporation came in and put a contract on that building, and so they notified us, your contract has been rejected. You're not getting that building. And we moved on. We moved on for several months. But here this little group of Joshua's army goes down there in the middle of town in Atlanta and starts circling this building. And they start walking around it and saying, Lord, we just claim this for the kingdom of God. 
Lord, we know you want our families there and our children there and people to get saved there. And God, we just claimed this building. And do you know that they called us last week and they said, is your offer still good? The other one mysteriously fell through. Here it is. This is the new home of Free Chapel Atlanta. Look at that. Midtown. It's unbelievable. Look at only God could do that, but he needs some people to pray some bold prayers, some bold prayers, and by faith, we're going to pay absolutely cash for it. I know God's already got it. It'll be paid for before we get in it, and we won't have to do nothing to it. Clap your hands and shout and say amen. It's ready to walk in, and we'll close on it after we do due diligence in 60 days and we'll walk in and the first service people are going to get saved because somebody drew a circle and said hell can't have what heaven says is mine in Jesus name. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and leave us a review. It helps this podcast reach even more people. Free Chapel can now be your home church no matter where you live with Free Chapel Online. Watch weekly messages from wherever you are with your family and friends, join online small groups, volunteer, and more. Plus, there's weekly content for youth and kids. Join today by downloading the Free Chapel app or head over to freechapel.org online. And a special thanks to those who give generously to help us produce weekly content like this to reach the world with the message of Jesus. If you'd like to partner with us, you can give by clicking the link in the description or on our website and app. God bless you and we'll see you next week.